Let's give a round of applause to Tully for reading all those names. I might have to call an audible when I get to the scriptures and read those names, but um, also the worship team, thank you for those um, worship songs. So today we have Daniel in our series, uh, Bad, the Ugly, and the Good, and it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, uh, especially chapter one, and I'll tell you a little bit later about that, but we're weeks away, days away from our kids going to school, right? I don't know if you're a parent, you probably are excited uh, joyful. Uh, you can't wait right, for them to go to school. Uh, I know I am. Uh, and, but once they begin to go to school, in essence, what we're doing is sending them off to the front lines of a battleground that we're facing. This is the battlegrounds where culture, politics, and faith are being challenged, are being disputed, and are also being shaped. So as parents, even though we celebrate that our kids are going to school, and we get, quote-unquote, free daycare for about eight hours, right? But it's also a process where they begin to shape their minds. Now, but it's not only in school where we are seeing these battlegrounds. If you pay attention to the books that the kids are being read or being forced to read by the school curriculum, by the movies that are being produced, like Disney, or even thinking about social media, the parents or, or teachers, and other theories that are bombarding our children, they're going against what we're teaching them. So I think it's very important, uh, especially what Tuli and Courtney are doing for the seminar about sexuality and identity and, and faith. It's extremely important to gather all the knowledge that we want and need to better prepare our children as they go out. I know I'm teaching uh, school again. I was talking to Andy. I was like, are you excited to go back? Are you ready to go back? And all teachers will say the same thing. No, we're not, right? We're not. As parents, we want the summer to be over, for teachers who want it to be extended. But as you go into academia and you go into the university settings, as I've been teaching for several decades now, you begin to notice firsthand the lack of God. You also notice the absence of faith. You also notice how our children that have grown up in our churches turn away from God. They're not seeking God wholeheartedly, especially during the freshman year as they get a taste for college life, away from uh, some structure they had. Now, all those things, how does it relate to the book of Daniel? Well, how does it relate to what uh, Tuli just read? Bear with me for a second as I try to introduce you certain concepts. So what we're going to do today, we're going to have a message broken up in three parts. And the first part is chaos. Now, I don't know how many times you have read chapter 1 in Daniel, and I know we all have read it multiple times, as I have over the years. But as you read chapter 1, verse 1, you begin to notice certain things that we may have overlooked. So the first thing that I want you to think about, how does chaos and how do we respond to chaos around us? Our society is chaotic. Our politics are chaotic. Inflation is chaotic. Things around us seems to be chaotic. But how do we get chaotic from Daniel 1? So follow with me as we read certain verses as we just read. When I read verse 1 in chapter 1, there was a word that stood out to me over and over again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoshaphat, king, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now think about that, right? Once again, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bible, there's Bibles on each corner of your pews. 
You can take it home. You can underline it. But that word besiege just, just resonated with me over and over and over. Now, if you go back, which we did a couple of weeks ago when I preached on Solomon, the reason why the city is going to be besieged is because of Solomon's sin. He gave the city, the beloved, the holy city of Jerusalem, to this foreign king, to this Gentile. Now, think about in your life right now, what areas of your life are being besieged or being chaotic? Think about what aspects of my life or your life or your family life are being besieged. It could be your cars, right? We left uh, on our trip and took the car to get repaired. The nail got repaired. Supposedly, they took it out, and then the next day, the tire was completely flat. All right. Came back. There was no miracle. The tire was still flat. All right. I needed to take it, and to our surprise, it was not even a nail that was inside the, the, the tire. I wish I have brought it as an example, but this was this long thing inside the nail that we have no idea how it got in there. Right? It could be your health that's being besieged. It could be house repairs or the inability to find a house in this market. It could be your kids. They're being besieged by different changes in the attitudes as they grow up, the terrible twos that now seem to go on to the teens, right? They go on and on and on. It could be financial. It could be debt. It could be your marriage. It could be work. What areas in your life are currently being besieged? Now, the city of Jerusalem is going to be besieged. It's going to be surrounded, and it's going to be destroyed, and the people in the city is going to be taken capture. So the first word I want you to just contemplate is besiege. What are areas in our life that are being destroyed or being surrounded? That takes us to verse number two. As we read verse number two, there's something else that just stood out to me, and that is, and the Lord gave this foreign king Jerusalem. Now, we think that our lives, just because we follow Christians and we're obedient and doing the things that are righteous, there are things that are not going to be given up. But let me tell you, my children can be taken from me at any given time. My possessions can be taken at any given time. My job, my profession, my career can be lost in a matter of seconds. But we always think as Christians that we deserve some supernatural protection in our possessions. We think that our health cannot be touched. We think that we cannot get into car accidents. But in verse number two, we see that God gave permission to this foreign king to take over Jerusalem. Now that gives us something to ponder. If God allows for the holy city of Jerusalem to be besieged and to be destroyed, what areas in our life could God prevent or allow for things to be besieged? Now, as you travel around the world and you get to meet Christians that are living in areas that are being persecuted, it is very interesting they never pray for protection. They don't ask, God, protect me from persecution. Their prayer goes like this. God, allow persecution so your name can be preached on. Imagine if our prayer was, God, allow persecution in North America. Right? Think about that. 
Think about if our prayer was that we as the church will be persecuted on a day-to-day so God's will will be done. When you speak to people in Bangladesh, when you speak to people to Cuba, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, they don't ask for protection. Because they know during persecution, that is when the church is going to grow. The faith is going to grow. I come from El Salvador. During the war, in Central America during the 80s, is the opportunity where the church grew exponentially. We went from being 80% Catholic to almost 65% Protestant today. Persecution is God's will for the church to grow and to expand. But we never pray that. And where do we get that? So follow with me on Romans 13. Actually, I'll come back to that a little bit later. But just think about Matthew 6, 20 and 21. Matthew 6, 20 and 21 talks about there are certain things that are very dear to us. It says, But lay upon yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where the thieves do not break in or steal, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? What are the things that you're protecting from God and wrestling from God so they would not be besieged? When we think about what God has intended for us, it's for us to be light and salt in this earth. Now, Daniel, along the way, he was instructed, he was taught all of these things, the commandments. He was taught the books of the law. He didn't know at what moment, at what time he needed to utilize it. And in North America, when we begin to see every four years or every eight years a change in government, we begin to think that is the destruction of our faith. Because we assume that political parties are meant to protect our faith. Now, imagine living in the days of Daniel, right? You're holding truth, you're obedient to the word of God, and then all of a sudden you just realize that the city of Jerusalem was besieged, that God allowed for the city to be taken. And look what happens in verse number three. Then the king commanded Aphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. We're talking about the elites of the elites. Now, in some cases, we might think about that as being persecuted or being singled out. Once again, governments are not here to protect our faith. They're actually the opposite. So if you open with me in Romans 13, and I'm going to read from the NIV, just because it reads a little bit more clearer and a little bit more simpler. Romans 13, 1 to 3, gives us this notion. The governments are not here to protect us. And in many cases, they're here to create some chaos. For our faith to be tempted, for our faith to be problematic. So look what Romans 13 says. Everyone must submit to government authorities, regardless of their political affiliation, whether we agree with them or not, right? But that's against what we think should happen. For all authorities come from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? By God himself. But how can God put evil people in power? 
This is where persecution comes in again. God doesn't have to do your will nor my will. God is sovereign. So when God allows certain things that we think are going to go against our faith, he allows it for a reason. And it continues on Romans 13, 2. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. Now, in North America, we have become attached to our political affiliation, correct? But what will happen if we become affiliated to God and his word instead? Wouldn't be worried so much about who is in charge or who is passing what laws. We'll be saying God's will will be done, regardless of the political affiliation, whoever is in office. Now, imagine Daniel. He's about to be taken from his homeland, taken to another foreign land without knowing the language, and be exposed to a whole bunch of things. He's being captured. He's going to be slaved. He's going to be doing things that he doesn't want to. So the first part, the first three verses that we read, is about this chaotic situation that is about to brew. And once again, if we're in North America, we'll be freaking out, correct? We'll be calling for thrives on politics. We'll be calling on, on seminars, right? We'll be calling for like 3Ds, preparation, right? Because the government is not doing what we want. But once again, think about the countries right now around the world that are being persecuted for their faith. And those are the countries where the church and the faith is growing exponentially. Right? It's a contrast. We don't want persecution. I don't want my wife to be persecuted. I, want, I don't want my children to be persecuted. But that is when the faith grows. As we begin to think about the second part of the verses, as we read 4, 5, 6, and 7, we begin to see a shift now. We see the chaotic beginning of Daniel 1, and now we begin to see the battleground. Where Daniel has to stand up, where Daniel and his friends will have to make a decision of what to follow. When we begin to read those verses, which are very familiar to us, we begin to think about how does that relate to us. So one of the things when we started this series, I wanted to preach on Daniel. I actually fought uh, Brandon down in the basement, right, for this, for this opportunity. Uh, he lost badly, right? So think about how would we, as members of this church, how will we pass the test? If there were to be taken hostage, were to be persecuted by governments. The reason why Daniel is so present to me, there's two reasons. When we had our son and we knew it was going to be a boy, I knew the names already. They, they were already pre-prepared, right, before I met my wife. Right? I knew what their names were going to be. Either Josue or Daniel. Joshua, Daniel, or Daniel Joshua. I didn't know what came first or second. But I knew what it was going to be. Why? Because they always serve as my role models. The second reason why Daniel was so special to me was because I can relate to him in the sense that I'm an immigrant in this country. I came here when I was 10 years old and I was put in very 
difficult situations, particularly where my parents could only afford to live. And the school systems that I went to in Montgomery County and the certain things that I saw as growing up. And I remember reading these verses and I was like, God has a plan for me. I didn't know what it was. Yesterday we went to a friend's house and I had to give him my entire story how God has set me apart. How God protected me. All my friends during high school, they were the troublemakers slash the popular kids. That was my crew because I live in the same areas with them. They were the ones who were stealing cars. They were the ones skipping on Fridays. They were doing drugs. They were doing a whole bunch of stuff. So Daniel almost served to me as this role model, right? I'm a foreigner. I had to learn English. I came really young. I didn't know the ropes. I needed to grow up really quickly. For the second part of this message, think about will we make that cut, right? On verses 4, as we read them, we begin to see a very specific type of individual that the king is looking for. He's looking for young individuals without any blemish, a good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, you don't have to be a professional. Right? I want to make that clear. You don't have to be a professional to testify Christ. Now, it would be awesome if we all were professionals because that allows a certain mobility and certain podiums that traditionally no one else would have. But you don't have to be a professional. Now, a couple months ago, we did the Living Stones. And if you remember some of the verses that we read, particularly First Peter 1, it reads 9 through 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possessions. But you may proclaim an excellence of him who called you out in darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, for me personally, especially in the background that I came as Hispanic, as an immigrant, was extremely rare because all my classmates, all the individuals that I went to church with, none of them pursue higher education. I was the exception to the rule. Going into Maryland, I was the exception to the rule going to a PhD program. But now, how do you set yourself apart in this battleground where you have to stand up? Now, in the case of Daniel, he was chosen because he fit this description. The question is, how many of us will be persecuted based upon our unique skill set that we might have? I don't know. Daniel 5 goes, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that they were going to eat and of the wine that they were going to drink. They were to be educated for three years, and, the king, uh, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. In other words, preparation, they were going to be tested at the end to see if they're going to be worthy. And many of us have followed that, right? We all have gone to college. Many of us have been trained in certain skill sets. We have to pass a certain task, a certain bar or certain skill sets, and then we have to prove our worth, whether or not we have passed it. 
In the case of Daniel, he will have to come in front of the king after three years of graduate education, right, and stand upon the thesis and the board and whether to see whether you're approved. For us, we begin to think about this human approach. We begin to think about education, preparation, postgraduate school, career choices, and so on. But we always forget that it's not about the human preparation or the humanistic preparation, but it's about the spiritual preparation. If I am spiritually strong, if I am doing my diet, quote unquote, my spiritual diet, praying, fasting, reading his word, testifying, worshiping, tithing, then at a given time, I'm going to be tested. Daniel, three years and a half of training to stand in front of the judge. Now, verse number six and number seven is very interesting because they changed their names, right? They come into a new environment, and the names that they were known as back in Israel, they were substituted with new names. You know why that takes place? Because they wanted to change their identity. When inmates go into jail, they're no longer called by their names. What are they called by? A number. Why? You're taking their identity away and creating a new identity. How easy it would have been for Daniel and his friends to lose their identity as an Israelite in a new place. Their names were substituted. Their names were changed for the reason because they needed to acclimate and adapt into a new environment. My name is not Ronald. My name is Ronald, right? But you can't roll the R's, right? Ronald, right? Now, you're going to try to call me that after the service, right? Don't try, right? <laughs> or Roberto, right? We heard Roberto being called today, right? But, like, I had to acclimate myself, right? Like, when people call me Ron, you know how long that took me to get acclimated to that? I'm like, how you go from Ronald to Ron, right? I'm like, I'm Ronald, right? I wouldn't even tell you my, my middle name because it's horrendous in English, okay? Now you're all wondering what it is, right? I won't tell you, all right? But my name is Ronald Wilfredo. Right? That's what my parents gave me as a name. Now imagine being called in English Ronald Wilfred. Doesn't sound very poetic, right? So I always go with the W. Now you know, right? Now you know my secret. Don't ever call me Will, right? Or Wilfredo, right? We'll be okay. But think about, right? This is what happened to Daniel. They were substituted. The name they were given as youth, now they were alternated and changed. Why? Because they needed to change their identity. Now this also brings me to another point. What is Daniel's success? How was Daniel be able to succeed in chaos and persecution in a foreign environment that is doing not God's will, but testing his faith? And here is where we take our notes and begin to write the secret formula right, for success in life. Number one, their names, although it changed, their identity in Christ did not. They were in a foreign territory. They were being persecuted. They were being called by weird names. But their identity in Christ remained the same. Now, this is important for us as parents, as our children go off. The identity is going to change as they go to the school system. But can their identity survive? Can their faith be tested yet be triumphed afterwards? 
The other thing is, who do you surround yourself with? In Spanish, there's a saying, dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Tell me who you're with and I'll tell you who you are. My parents told me that all the time. All right? Be careful who you hang out with because that will determine who you are. And it's true. Right? If you are with successful people, guess what? Most likely you'll be successful. If you hang around with musicians, guess what? You're a musician, right? Now, for Daniel, he chose his friends wisely. There was a group of individuals there. Now, I don't know what were the circumstances, how they came together. I don't know who was the leader. Was it Daniel? Now, just to put a little parenthesis in there, Daniel disappears in chapter 3. When they're being tested and they're being thrown in the furnace, there's no Daniel. Have you ever thought about that? Like, where's Daniel? Did he bow down? All right, but that's for you to figure out, right? That's your homework. Now, as we begin to finish up the sermon, right, we begin to notice the identity should not change under the circumstances. We should surround ourselves with friends that help us grow in Christ, not pull us away in Christ. Now, number eight. Verse number eight. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Right? There's two words there. He resolved and he did not want to defile himself. Now, there's a misconception here. There was the food that was defiling him. So there's books written about the Daniel diet, right? How many of you have tried that one? I have it at home, right? It's not the food. You missed the whole point, okay? It's not the food. He noticed, right? He noticed that they were all given the same type of menu. But he said, let me go against the grain. Let me glorify God by doing the opposite. So if they were given vegetables, guess what he would have done? He would have been a meat eater. Right? It just happened that the food that they were given was wine and meat. Now the question is, what are things in our life that we should be resolved not to be defiled? Now this is a test for all of us because there are certain things that we're doing right now that is pulling us away from God. That is contaminating us. That is making us weaker. So when Daniel looked at the menu, he looked at the circumstances, and he says, I want to testify. I want to be different. I want to go against the grain. So he tells the eunuch, test me for 10 days. Give me vegetables and only give me water. Once again, it's not the food. The point is to go against the grain and to show the power of God in his life so later he can testify that it wasn't his decision about eating this or eating that, but to show the power of God. So what areas in our lives can we bear witness that God is doing things in our life? What areas in our life can we show the power of God manifested in our lives? How can we show the dependency on him and not on us or in our society? And how can we allow God to be glorified in our lives, not by the decisions that we're making? 
So when Daniel arrives in verse number 11, Daniel said to the steward who his chiefs or the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and his friends, verse number 12, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, this is something that we can do. We can show other individuals for a certain period of time that God is working in our lives. There are certain things that we can do in our lives, whether it's fasting, praying, reading more than three times a day right, or four times a day. How can we create a habit, a routine that will allow God to be glorified? Once again, you're not doing it because of your will. You're trying to show God's will. So it's not the, dial, the Daniel diet, right? It's not the vegetables. It's not the water. We always miss that concept. It's the fact that he wanted to be different. He wanted to go against the counterculture that existed at that moment. He wanted to go against the grain. Now, if you continue to read the final verses, 13, 14, 15 onward, God glorified himself to the point that after the 10 days, Daniel and his friends are to be found, what, 10 times smarter than anyone else. And if you continue reading the book of Daniel, you begin to notice a pattern, a routine that did not matter who the king was. It did not matter who was in charge. Daniel always glorified and testified God. Everyone knew about Daniel and his friends. So they created plots against them. They put him in situations where they had a test of faith. Remember Daniel praying and opening the doors and people seeing him and then going to the den, right? Or his friends being thrown in the furnace. And they said, well, God save me. God will still be God and we'll be glorifying his name. So one of the things we have to think about Christians is Obedience to God does not protect us from persecution. It actually invites persecution. We as Christians do not have protection over all of our possessions and over all of our things. Because they're not ours. And as you live in obedience to God, what you're doing is God, take everything is yours, do as you will. In death, God will be glorified. In sickness, God will be glorified. In persecution, God will be glorified. So I encourage you to continue reading the book of Daniel and trace the life of Daniel and his friends. You will notice a consistency. You will notice fidelity. And you will also notice a routine that allows them to stand against different kings. So the question is, how are you going to resolve not to defile yourself and test God's power in your life? Now, I'll give you a couple of practical things you can do. Finances. Guess what? The more you give God, it hurts. All right? When you look at that percentage... And those numbers attached to the end of your monthly statement, keep pushing the envelope. Keep depending more on him. That's an easy way to test God's will. I have less. 
How is God going to manifest himself? It goes against everything you have been taught. Trust me. If you live in 90% of your budget, try 85. Try 88. Continue pushing the envelope, that dependency on him, and see how God glorifies himself. That's one way. Other ways you can do it is with your children. Figure out how their faith can grow. And I know as parents, we love to protect our children. The worst conversations I ever had with individuals, there are parents is like, allow me to take your children or your child across the world in a persecuted area. They don't want to. They don't want to do it. They don't want to put their children in harm's way. Now, I'm not telling you to actively put them in harm's way, right? But test, right? Resolved. Now, for all of us, this means different things. For me personally, like I told you, right? Growing up as an immigrant, I was like, I'm not going to do what my friends are doing. I can't. I won't do it. I won't skip school. So my friends knew that I would not do the certain things that we would do. And they will also protect me against other things that were happening around me, other gangs, other situations that were happening. But they knew, right? There was something. I never testified completely outright that I was a Christian. I was, you know, not completely full out evangelist mode or mission mode when I was in high school. But they knew, right? They knew that I was not doing things. So once again, the question is, how are you going to test the Lord? And it's not an easy thing. It's a dangerous thing. But once again, obedience to him should be living in obedience to his word and to his will. Close your eyes. Examine your hearts. Examine those treasures that are keeping close to your heart, right? Those things that you are wrestling with, God said, you can have anything that you want except this, that, my children, my wife, my job, my house, my cars, my 401k, Right? Whatever it is. What are the things that you're protecting so dearly that God cannot enter those areas? What are the areas in your life right now you're defiling yourself? You're not allowing God to take control over those areas. I'll let you close your eyes for a minute to pray, to meditate. And as we do that, We'll participate in the communion. Take some time. We're not in a rush. I always finish early, so take a couple minutes just to dwell in his presence. Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. What are the areas that I'm not allowing God? What are the areas in my life that I'm just holding on? And when you finish praying, when you finish analyzing, take other communion. And we'll sing together and worship and just glorify that God is alive. God is alive in our life, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our schools.
Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to have your Bibles, to be able to read in our own language your holy word. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to have a building where we can come together as a body of Christ and worship together without any fear of persecution. Father, in this moment, we pray for the persecuted church around the world that is hiding somewhere, not able to sing out loud, not able to have a Bible in their own language. But they have defiled, they have chosen, they have resolved not to defile themselves. Father, we pray for them to, for the faith to grow, for the churches to grow, for us as a church here in North America to support them in prayer financially, but also visiting them and giving them encouragement. Father, we pray that this week, as we go on and our children go to school, may we talk about them, talk to them about Daniel and his friends, and how unique and how special they were, and how your name was glorified in that part of the world during that period of time. Thank you, Father, for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.